0: Amen. If you would turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Tonight we're going to start in verse 17. Philippians chapter 3, verse 17. Paul says the church here, Philippi, Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as you have us for an example. Verse 18, For many walk of whom I have told you often, and now tell you, even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. Let's pray tonight. Lord God, I thank you for this opportunity that we can just be in your house tonight, Lord God, and that we can worship you freely. Lord God, I pray that you just use this service tonight to bring honor and glory to you. Lord God, I pray that you just continue to be with Community Baptist Temple, Lord God, and that they might just... Uh, do what you'd have them to do, Lord God, I continue to bless and use them here in Akron. Lord God, I pray that you just be with uh, this passage that we're dealing with tonight, Lord, and that we would just get a burden for this world. And Lord God, that we'd see joy come to our life as we serve you. We praise you we thank you again. We ask this in your name, in Jesus' name, amen. Philippians chapter 3 here. Uh, I want to talk to you tonight about uh, two repetitions through the book of Philippians. In the Word of God, anytime time you see something repeated... If you see some repetition there, it's probably because the author's trying to get your attention. He wants you to see something, so he keeps on repeating it so that we catch it. You know, as man, it usually takes us a little bit longer. We have to hear it a few more times before we really get a hold of it. And so the Holy Spirit, as he put this the, the word into the authors, uh, he repeated it. He kept on saying it over and over again to get our attention. And so I want to look at two of those tonight in the book of Philippians. I'm sure there's more. Uh, but I just want to look at two. We find the first one here in Philippians chapter 3, verse 18. that the, That is that there is enemies of the cross of Christ. There's enemies. We see it the first time. He says it in chapter 1, in verse 28. He says, And nothing terrified by your adversaries. He says it again in chapter 2, verse 15, that ye may be blameless, blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom you shine as lights in the world and again in in verse chapter 3 verse 18 our text tonight he says for many walk of whom I've told you often Paul says this Philippian church I keep on reminding you I keep on telling you I keep on bringing your attention that the world around us there are enemies of the cross of Christ tonight if you're not part of the family of God you're you're one of the enemies there's only two paths there's only two ways and that's uh, the way of Jesus Christ or a way of his enemy, the devil, the Bible tells us. And Christ looks at his church and he, and he makes it so clear as he talks to his disciples. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. The word God tells us there's no redemption outside of Jesus Christ. We read that in First Peter tonight. It's only Jesus Christ, it's only the blood that makes a difference that brings us into the family of God away from the becoming being an enemy of the cross. And so Paul tells us tonight that I keep on telling you. I've told you often he describes those enemies in verse 19 where he says their end is destruction. Their end is destruction. There is no hope. Uh, they're on their way to destruction outside of Jesus Christ. Their God is their belly. That They live for themselves. They worship themselves. They serve themselves in their life. He says their glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. You know, We looked at those earthly things in 1 Peter chapter 1 where he says it's corruptible, it's silver, it's gold, it's earthly, it has no eternal value. It's the earthly things. And Amber and I had the opportunity to go to, to India in June and we went on our survey trip and a survey trip missionary goes and he looks to, to see what cost of living is going to be. He looks to see what kind of apartment he can get or uh, see what kind of grocery store his wife can find or uh, what kind of things we need to take with us. But the missionary that we stayed with there in New Delhi, Jim Roberts, uh, he asked me, what was one thing you want to see when you come here? He said, we have two weeks. We got plenty of time for some stuff. What do you want to go see? And so I told the missionary, I want to go see Hinduism. I want to see what we're going to be facing. I want to see uh, the, the stronghold of Satan there in, in India. And so he took me to Varanasi. Varanasi there in India is the religious capital. It's it's the Hindu's Mecca. It's where they go to worship. It's where they go to die. It's where they go to serve. And we got off the airplane just in time there in Varanasi to go to their evening ceremonies, the evening worship there. The Ganges River uh, goes through India, and it's a sacred river. They worship the river. They say over 400 million Hindus live on that river, serving the river, worshiping the river, going to the river. And as we got off the plane, we we got to the river watching uh, just in time for their evening ceremonies. And what they do, two times a day for an hour, an hour every morning as the sun comes up, and an hour every night as the sun goes down, a thousand, sometimes millions of Hindus will gather on the banks of these rivers and worship these false idols. And for an hour every morning, every night, they ring bells, they burn incense, they, they yell, they shout, they sing. They play music. They do whatever they can do to try to wake up their gods, uh, to try to get their gods' attention, to try to get their sins, to try to earn that redemption, to get their sins forgiven there on the Ganges River. And can I tell you, after 2,000 years, they've been going there since Jesus Christ walked on this earth, and in over 2,000 years, they still haven't gotten redemption. Uh, There's still no hope. They still are trying to ring those bells. They're still trying to wake up their gods, and nothing has happened yet no sins have been paid for at that Ganges River. They go there and they get in this filthy river, uh, one, of the, one of the dirtiest rivers in the world, really a sewage river coming down through India there. And what they do, they go there, they get down into the river, they bathe in the river, they wash in the river, they drink the water, trying to get their sins forgiven, trying to pay their sin debt. But can I tell you tonight, they're still searching. They're still on their way to destruction. They're still minding these earthly things. Really, no more than idols built out of stone and rock, with no saving power. Their god is their belly. They're, they're worshiping themselves. They're looking to take care of themselves, to serve themselves. And tonight, in the country of India, uh, there's no other way to look at it. They're enemies of the cross of Christ. They're enemies. And, and the same could be true. Same is true here in Akron. Outside of Jesus Christ, we are enemies of the cross. Uh, outside of the gospel, we are enemies. And so Paul reminds the church here in Philippi. Uh, I told you often, I keep on reminding you that there's people in this world that have yet to hear the gospel. What I've heard about India is 98% have yet to hear the story of Jesus Christ. And 98% have never heard about the death, burial, and resurrection. And there are still enemies waiting to hear about the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And so Paul tells this church, and I've told you often, I keep on reminding you, church, tonight, let's not forget that around us, our enemies are the cross of Christ that need the gospel. And Paul says here in verse 18, he says, For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping. Uh, I tell you even weeping, church, tonight, not only can we not forget, but we must get a burden. Uh, we must get a passion for lost souls. Uh, Paul, in this prison in Rome, as he writes this, this letter back to the church of Philippi, uh, he says, My heart is broken. He says, I'm weeping, and I imagine the letter that they received from Paul is wet from his tears as he writes about the, these enemies of the cross who are on their way to destruction tonight. They're on their way to an eternity without God. And they're serving themselves. They're minding these earthly things. They're on their way to destruction, and tonight that should do something to us. Tonight that should break our hearts. It should give us a burden of passion for this lost world. You know, tonight we talk about a passion uh, for lost souls, but tonight we cannot have more of a passion for lost souls than Jesus Christ. I think the best illustration as I I studied Philippians chapter 3 would have to be John chapter 4, a very familiar portion of Scripture as Jesus goes to Samaritan woman at the well. And Christ has such a passion for lost souls uh, who is God who has come to earth in flesh. He's left His home in glory He's put on flesh. He's, he's wrapped himself in flesh, the Bible tells us. And, and he lived this life for 30 years. Uh, for 30 years, dealing with the things that man has to deal with, uh, dealing with the struggles. The uh, Bible says he is, he is the high priest that knows everything that we go through. Uh, he, he went through hard times here on earth, watching uh, his best friend John the Baptist be beheaded, uh, going through the, the sorrow of being a man here on earth. And at the end of that life, at the end of Uh, Being a man yet without sin, he went to the cross. He went to pay a sinner's death, not for something that he had done, but he wanted to reconcile man to God. He had such a passion for lost souls that he would live that life perfect and sinless and go to the cross so he could bring that lost soul redemption back to God the Father. And so we can't have more of a, a passion for lost souls than Jesus And he shares that, he teaches that to his disciples in John chapter 4 as he goes to the Samaritan woman at the well. And he shows up, he's been on a journey, he's tired, he's been walking. And so he asks the woman for some water. He asks her for some water and for the Samaritan woman, really throws her back. She cannot understand how this, this Jewish rabbi would ask her, a Samaritan woman, for a glass of water really asking, can I share your cup with you? And so this Samaritan woman says, you know, uh, Jews have no dealings with me, is what John chapter 4 says. Uh, She says, I'm an outcast, I'm the enemy. I'm the enemy of God's people, just like Paul's talking about here in Philippians chapter 3. She says, I'm the enemy, Uh, Jews have no dealings with me, and why would you ask me for water? And Christ's response is, if you knew who I was, you'd ask me for some water, and I would give you water where you never thirst again. And so Jesus, right there at the well, he goes into her past. He explains to her that she has a need of a Savior. He explains her sin. You remember the story? He says, uh, why don't you go get your husband? And Samaritan woman says, you no, know, Rabbi, I don't have a husband. And Christ says, no, you have several husbands. You have more than one. You are in a heap of trouble. You are in a, a lot of sin, and you need a Savior. And Christ says, you know, I am that Savior. I am the one that can give you life everlasting this eternal water where you'll never thirst again. And right there at that Samaritan well, that Samaritan woman gets saved. And she accepts the free gift of salvation that Jesus offers her. And just as many of us, that first night when we got saved, uh, that first time we realized that we were a sinner on our way to hell, and we realized that free gift of salvation that God had given us, that first night when we got saved, we just couldn't help but to tell somebody about it. Uh, We just couldn't help but to share and tell somebody about what God had done for a sinner like me. And so this Samaritan woman runs back into Samaria, and she's going from house to house, and she's getting her friends, she's getting her family, knocking on doors, yelling it in the streets, you've got to come meet this guy. You've got to come meet this rabbi. He knows everything about me, but he's given me everlasting life. He's forgiven my sins. And so she gets everybody together. Samaria's doors come busting open, and multitudes multitudes of the enemies are pouring out of the city to come meet jesus here by the well i don't know if that was a thousand i don't know if it's a hundred it could have been the whole city coming to meet jesus and jesus as he stands here in this field by this well waiting watching these multitudes come his disciples come back peter james john andrew all the rest of them down the line there they come back and they can tell something's wrong with jesus they can tell something's just not right and say, Master, can we get you something to eat? Can we get you something to drink? What can we do to make you feel better? Christ, what can we do to help you? And Christ says, you know, you're so worried about this corruptible. You're so worried if I've had a meal or if I've had something to drink, had something to eat. And Christ looks at his disciples and his one response is lift up your eyes. Disciples, would you lift up your eyes tonight? Christ looks at his his disciples and I imagine Jesus standing there by that well in the field, uh, pointing to the multitudes, uh, pointing to the enemies, uh, the ones the disciples would never have any dealings with. And Christ said, Will you lift up your eyes? Uh, They're white already on the harvest. All they need tonight is for somebody to go and tell them about what Jesus Christ did in our life. All they need is for somebody to go and explain their sin problem and their need of a Savior and a, a Christ who came and lived a perfect life here on earth and died for our sins and their sins, and went to the cross, was buried for three days, and rose again. Christ said, Chur- church, disciples, believers, would you lift up your eyes tonight. Would you see the fields of harvest? Would you see the enemies of this world? Will we get a burden for the lost souls of this world? Will we get a passion for the, this world around us that are enemies on their way to destruction and need the gospel of Jesus Christ? And Christ said, disciples, would you lift up your eyes and Paul says the same thing here in Philippians chapter 3. He says, Church, I've told you often. I keep on reminding you I've told you often and now tell you even weeping. I tell you even weeping with a broken heart in this this Roman prison where, I, where I'm not free to go and preach as Paul considers the, the world around him that he can do nothing about as he's stuck in this prison witnessing no longer can preach. He says, Church, we need a burden for this lost soul around us. So number one repetition we see tonight is that we must get a burden, that the enemies of this world, we must get a burden, a passion for them. But if you would turn over to Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. The second repetition here in in the book of Philippians, uh, we find in chapter 4, verse 4, Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. You know, all through the book of Philippians, not only does he keep mentioning these enemies, but Philippians is a book of joy. It's a book of rejoicing, and every time Paul says anything, it's rejoicing the Lord. It's overfilling with joy in his life. And maybe tonight, if you're a new believer, maybe you've never studied the book of Philippians before, but you look at this and say, you know, Paul is in a prison back in Rome. Paul is being persecuted for his faith. He's been beaten. He's been thrown in this dungeon. And and church tonight is is not the kind of dungeons or prisons we have today. Uh, Paul, as he's chained to this wall, uh, certainly hasn't had a meal in in weeks. He's hungry. He's starving, uh, maybe very sick, maybe even very close to death as he writes this letter. Uh, Hasn't slept well. He's sleeping on a a hard floor. Uh, I'm sure he's cold. He doesn't have good clothes to put on. He doesn't have a blanket or a pillow. And and so Paul, this part of his life, uh, has got to be miserable He's got to be upset. He's got to be questioning God. But instead, as he writes the book of Philippians, uh, all that he seems to be able to mention is just how joyful he is and how much rejoicing he has in his life. And as a new Christian, Christian, you might be scratching your head uh, saying, how can Paul be so happy? How can Paul have so much joy? And I truly believe tonight, Christian, and Philippians teaches us that what brings Paul joy is that passion for lost souls, now that that burden, that passion for lost souls, and no matter where Paul is at in his life, and no matter what Paul's going through, Paul can say rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let me show this to you. Turn back to Philippians chapter one with me. In Philippians chapter one verse twelve. Uh, Paul says, "But I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me, uh, the things which happened unto me." is the persecution, it's the beatings, it's the trials, it's the struggles that Paul is going through. The things which happen unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. Rather unto the furtherance, that, that word furtherance there, uh, the Roman army there in Paul's times, they, they would they were conquering the world. And they had a huge army that was going forth. And so what they would do, they would, they would hire men that would go before... and and prepare the way for the army to come. And and the woods, they would chop down all the trees, create a path. If it was was a creek, if it was water, they'd build a bridge so the army could keep on going. And they were preparing the way to take the army where they could never go before, uh, to take them to lands where they could never conquer before. And so Paul uses that word furtherance and says, you know, God is using my situation to take the gospel where it could have never gone without without me being persecuted, without me being thrown in prison, the gospel would have never made it here. He says in verse 13, that so, my, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and all other places. There in Caesar's household, where Paul is in prison, and there in the palace where Paul is being judged every day, going before the courts, going before the prison guards, spending time with other prisoners, he is witnessing and he's sharing the gospel, and people are getting saved. And Paul, as he writes this letter, as he writes the book of Philippians, he is given joy no matter what circumstance he is in because he knows he's taken the gospel to the lost world. And Paul, with his passion for lost souls, one by one as he sees uh, a non-believer, an enemy of the cross of Christ, get saved, it brings him joy. Look at chapter 4. Sorry, we're flipping around here in the book of Philippians tonight. Philippians chapter 4, Verse 20, verse 21. Paul, as he closes this letter, these are my favorite two verses in the book of Philippians. Paul says, Salute every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren which are with me, these Roman believers, this Roman church, greet you. They send you greeting. They say hello. And he says, All the saints salute you. All the believers here in Rome are sending you greeting. Look at verse 22. He says, Chiefly, the church tonight don't miss this. Uh, Most important part of this verse, most important part, Paul says chiefly, most importantly, church, uh, all they that are of Caesar's household. Uh, That is where Paul is imprisoned at. Uh, That is where Paul is being persecuted. That's where Paul is spending his times uh, of trial and struggles is there in Caesar's household. He said, Church of Philippi, God is using it to see the enemies come to Christ. God is using it and it brings Paul joy it brings him rejoicing knowing that as he serves no matter what's going on in his life he has a part in seeing God do a work the church tonight you know before we were saved before we accepted Christ as our savior before we got faithful to church the things of this world brought us pleasure we were enemies of the cross the things that this world had to offer us brought us pleasure we were satisfied by the next drink or the next dollar, whatever your past is, whatever pleased you before this life. But something happens in us when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior. All of a sudden, the things of this world no longer bring us pleasure. They no longer satisfy us. And now all of a sudden, we have a burden for lost souls. We have a passion for the enemies of this world. And the only thing that will satisfy and bring us pleasure, bring us joy, is serving the Lord. And seeing that one more person walk the aisle and get saved, seeing that one more family member get involved in church and give their life to Christ, and seeing that one more missionary sent out of your church, the things that bring us joy as believers is serving the Lord. Not the temporal things, not the earthly things this world has to offer, but serving the Lord. One last verse tonight, and we'll close. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. We said that, we cannot have more of a passion for lost souls than Jesus Christ. We can't have more of a burden for this, the enemies of this world than Jesus Christ who gave it all to see them saved. And so the same should be true that that bring Christ bringing reconciliation to the world, bringing that redemption to this world, should bring Christ joy. The, the same principle is true. If it's true for us, it's true for Him. And we see that here in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. He says, the author here of Hebrews says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for, the joy, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. In church tonight, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, says that Christ in the garden of Gethsemane, when he sat there preparing to go to the cross, knowing all that was about to happen to him, and knew knew who was going to spit in his face, and knew who was going to mock him, and knew the pain and the the suffering he was about to experience, the nails that were going to go into his hands and into his feet, the crown of thorns that was about to be placed on his head, the the, the spear shoved into his side. As he sat there and and he contemplated what was about to happen, he said it was for the joy. Christ looked at the cross, he looked at the suffering, the shame, and he said that's joy. It's rejoicing to, to, to go to the cross. And just an amazing thought tonight that Christ could look at the cross knowing the pain He was about to experience and say, so I will do that with joy. I will do that rejoicing because one more soul, one more person, one more enemy will come to Christ. One more enemy will be saved and be able to spend eternity in heaven. Christ said for the joy of, that was set before him. The joy that was set before him. Tonight, believers, as we're here in church missions conference, the thing that should bring us joy, rejoicing, is serving God with our life. Get involved in our church, get involved in evangelism, get involved in serving here behind our passage, seeing God do a work here in Akron, but not only in Akron, but around the world. Seeing God do a work. And in Philippians, Paul tells the church, that it's fruits abounding to your account. As Paul went out and the church sent forth people out, it was fruits abounding. A joy was brought to the Philippian church because of what Paul was doing there in Rome. A joy was brought to the church because Paul was going out in Philippian church, was getting involved. That same promise is true tonight for us as we serve the Lord, the most joy-filled life we could have. Amen. No more joy can be brought to us in serving Him with our life, getting a passion for lost souls and seeing them come to Christ. Christ said, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross and despised the shame. How are we serving the Lord tonight? What's bringing us joy in our life? Is it serving the Lord and seeing souls get saved? Let's pray tonight as pastor John God come.